This is episode number 149 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. This is episode number 149, and it's a continuation, really, of the last couple of episodes where I talked about how I overcame my personal public speaking fear. However, in this episode and really in the next I'm going to talk about how I, I, I actually got into the, the speaking business, how I actually turned public speaking into a career. On this episode, we're going to talk about how I became a professional speaker. And then on the next episode, I'll talk about how I actually built the Leaders Institute in a, into a, a multi-million dollar company. So basically what I'm going to be talking about over the next couple of episodes is how, you know, if you listen to the last couple of episodes, how a, a nervous, timid speaker became a professional speaker who businesses actually hire to come speak to their group. So if you've ever been, if you are in that situation and you want to kind of change things, you know, maybe my story can be an inspiration to you. Um, So the podcast is brought to you by the Fearless Presentations classes. So I'm pretty excited that last week I was able to deliver our second live in-person class since the whole COVID pandemic hit. You know, uh, for those of you who've been listening for a while, I've, I've talked for, for months now about our virtual public speaking classes and how exciting and, and effective those are. They have been a just phenomenal surprise to us how effective training can be over um, uh, over over zoom or over the the virtual platforms and we've learned a lot and in fact I think I think some of the things that we've learned and I've kind of talked about on on past sessions um, can be helpful to you as well if you are in one of those situations where you're having to present virtually um, but um, so last week we did we did another in-person class we did the first one back in November uh, it, it's still fairly tough to kind of fill some of those in-person classes, but we're getting more and more um, folks kind of coming to us and saying, hey, we I, I love the virtual stuff, but we've been doing virtual stuff for a while. Can you get back to the in-person? So now we've got both versions available. We got the two-day public speaking classes that are virtual, and we've also got them in person. So the next virtual class, by the way, is just a couple of weeks away. So make sure to look at the schedule if you're interested in that. Uh, we also have in-person classes scheduled again, the next one in Dallas, which will be a few months from now, but we also got classes coming up in Las Vegas and, and Tampa. Those are the first cities that we're going to open back up in, but um, stay tuned because we'll be opening, we'll be adding more cities to the list as as the municipalities that we're presenting in kind of allow us to do that. But for details about any of that stuff, just go to fearlesspresentations.com. All right, so let's get on with today's topic. So the topic today is how I built a multi-million dollar speaking business or speaking company. And, uh, you know, basically I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot of today's sessions kind of talking about how I set up set myself up anyway, to, to um, be able to start a company where 
I can generate that kind of income. Uh, a lot of times folks will kind of come to me and they'll say, Hey, Doug, wow, I want to do what you did. And I'm like, no, you don't. Oh my God. I made so many mistakes and it took me so long. I mean, I can help you do what I did and I can help you do it a lot faster than what I did it. Cause you won't have to make the same mistakes that I made. So hopefully these couple of sessions will, will help out. By the way, just so you know, the reason why I'm not really the best role model for building a business is that I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed. You can ask any of the folks that work around me or work for me, work with the company, um, they'll, they'll verify that that is true. <laughs> it's both a blessing, by the way, and a curse because, because I am hard-headed. It, it's caused me to kind of stick to things and figure out how, if I, if I fail or if something doesn't work right, I'll, I'll stick to it and figure out a better way to do it. And that's where we've created some of the breakthroughs that, that have allowed the company to, to um, kind of grow and, and be a, a fairly good sized business, but it's also a curse. You know, it's also, I've shot myself in the foot quite a few times too. And hopefully if you're, if you're a business owner and you're looking to grow, you can use my example to help, help you save some time and effort. Um, basically I spent, I spent 10 years putting everything back into my business before I, I crossed that million dollar per year threshold. And a lot of business owners do that. You know, we're struggling. We're, we're not taking profit. You know, we're working on less than minimum wage. We're putting everything back into the, the company. And I did that for the better part of 12 years. And um, um, the, the neat thing about it, though, was that once I generated that first, I hit that, that million dollar mark the first time in a year, it only took me about six months to hit it a second time. So once you kind of figure out what you're doing, you can you can just recreate that over and over again. And that's that's kind of what I did. And it's a long story, you know, that's what we're gonna do two episodes, but hopefully it'll give you some a few of these, you know, lessons learned can kind of help you in your journey as well. So the, the first thing that I want to talk about is how you wanna you really want to learn from experts who have what I call fruit on the tree. So basically, there are a lot of people out there that will give you advice, but have they actually succeeded in that thing that they're giving you advice on? So I, I'll give you a, a really good example of this. I was, I was teaching a class in Boston um, long, a long time ago. It was just almost a couple of decades ago now. One of the first few times that I, that I kind of uh, was teaching outside of the, of the Dallas-Fort Worth area where, where I'm based. And the, the hotel that I was teaching the class at was at Logan, right around Logan Airport, which is a little bit away ways from the city, a few miles away from the city. But since it was like at, around the airport at the time, there were no restaurants anywhere around this hotel. But the, the hotel shuttle, you know, it was like a Hampton Inn or something like that. I don't even remember now. But it was a it was a uh, the shuttle uh, driver when he was dropping people off at the airport. He would also drop us off and come pick us up at a, a little village that had a few restaurants. That way we could we didn't have to walk and cross dangerous roads and stuff like that. So it was really nice though. But he so he dropped me off in this little village. It had basically three eating choices: no fast food or anything like that. Three sit down restaurants. One of the three though was a barbecue place, which was really shocking. And being from Texas, I'm I'm pretty picky about my barbecue, but I'm looking at this place and there was like a seafood place and, and an Italian restaurant, I think next on either side of this place. But the barbecue place was the one that where people were lined up to get in. There was a waiting line and I'm, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, this is kind of weird. I don't think I'm going to go to Boston to get really good barbecue, but there's some reason why everybody's kind of going through this and going through this line. And 
So I'm, while I'm waiting to get a table, I, I began to look at all the press clippings that were posted on the, on the wall. And it turns out, now, now keep in mind, this is, this is actually a, um, I'm, re, I'm retelling this story from like 20 years ago based on what I remember. I didn't write this down. So I may get some of the, the details, but you'll, you'll kind of get the gist of it anyway. So it turns out that the owner of this, this barbecue joint was actually a, a doctor from somewhere in Asia. I think it was Korea or something like that. But he um, and he had come to the U.S. to practice medicine, and shortly after he arrived, he he was attending a meeting, you know, at the hospital where he was working, and they the they brought in um, lunch for the for the for the employees and. And they were serving barbecue. The caterers were serving barbecue, and he fell in love with this. He's like, "Wow, what? Is, this is awesome. This is really good food, right?" So a few years later, he was traveling to a different state and and saw a barbecue place on the on the in in town, and he was hoping to get a similar meal. He stopped in, and then he was kind of shocked that although he had ordered the same type of meat that he had gotten at the hospital a few years back, it tasted fantastic. But it was totally different from what he remembered. It was a totally different type of, of barbecue. And one of his friends kind of told him that, you know, actually, if you go to different parts of the United States, you'll get totally different kind of barbecue. You get different barbecue in, in Arkansas and get different barbecue in Texas. You get different barbecue in Tennessee. And each one has their own kind of recipe. And so every time he would go to a new state, he would um, he would try to find these recipe, find places that had this unique type of food and then get collect recipes. Recipes. So he he started experimenting with Texas brisket, figured out how to do that, and then he figured out how to do Tennessee pulled pork, and and then he, then he perfected the St. Louis baby back ribs. Eventually, folks in his neighborhood, you know, he's a medical doctor, but folks in his neighborhood liked his barbecue so much that they convinced him to open up a restaurant. And that's how he, that's how he kind of started the place and very, very popular and everything. So when I was finally seated at the table, I, I ordered the Texas brisket, you know, I, I get that all the time here at, at home, but I put the first bite in my mouth and it was like, I don't know if you, if you guys remember the the movie Ratatouille about it's the Disney movie with the, with the, the, the chef rat. And anyway, at the end of it, the food critic actually tastes the Ratatouille and gets the flashback to his childhood. And that's kind of the way I felt. I, I bet into this. I'm like, this is phenomenal. How in the world did they get Texas brisket so well done or so, so perfect in, in Boston. And, and, um, and it, so it was kind of a neat thing. So the, the, the meal, made me think of home, you know, just like the guy in Ratatouille. So the point is that this, this doctor, he didn't invent Texas barbecue brisket. He, he just traveled to Texas and learned how to do it properly from somebody who was already an expert. And, and, and that's what I did. And when, I mean, I didn't invent the techniques that I use to teach people in public speaking. I just went and found somebody who was doing it really, really well and used a similar technique. And after I did that over and over and over again with my, with, with my skill, I figured out that, wait, I can actually improve on it. I can make this better than even my, my coach did. And that's what this, that's what this doctor did as well. He his, his barbecue was actually better than what probably the guy who taught him how to do it. Right. So um, the, the key thing to keep in mind though, is that you've got to invest time and you've got to invest your resources into your craft before you, before you're going to become the expert. So um, for those of you who, who um, don't know, my, my college degree is actually in the oil and gas industry. So my first big break was with Atlantic Ridgefield. I was an intern. And at the end of the, at the end of the summer, I had to give a presentation, totally bombed it. 
Uh, since public speaking wasn't really a natural talent for me, I, I knew I needed help. So I read books, I attended Toastmasters, I, I, I took classes on public speaking. Nothing really seemed to work, though, until I came across an expert in the industry. I found somebody who actually was paid by companies to come in and speak to them. And then I listened to her because she had the fruit on the tree, right? So at the time that I found her, by the way, I was still paying off college debt and I was making very little each year in income. But I knew that that one of the big things that this this fear that I had, it was one of the big things that was holding me back. It, it was basically you know, my my lack of self-confidence and and my ability to communicate wasn't fantastic. So I, w- I just wasn't sure how to fix it before I found her. Right? So eventually, when I when I came across this lady, by the way, her, her name was Marianne Smith, fantastic speaker, um, kind of left the industry uh, a few years back. But um, but still, I mean, up until the time that she retired, man, wow, um, she was just really well known in the in the industry. Um, the, the, by the way, the fee that she was charging for just a single seat in her classes was about what I made in a, an entire month. So I, it was, it was a pretty good, I mean, for me to pay that fee at a time when I was, you know, in debt and all that kind of stuff was, was really tough, but, uh, but I'd, I'd already tried so many things and nothing really worked. So, um, you know, and this, this lady, this woman had built a company that was generating about a half million dollars in income in a city. She was in Midland, Texas. Only at the time, it had about 89,000 people in it. So she's, she had a pretty good sized company in, in a fairly small population area doing something that nobody else in that area was doing. So so basically what I did to, to I, I made some sacrifices. I, I stopped eating out for a couple of months. I stopped going to bars on the weekend. I was single at the time. So that was still one of the things I was doing. Um, every, every time that I made a decision to not spend money somewhere, basically what I did was, was um, I, I put the, the proceeds of, of what, what I would have spent on that outing into a shoebox next to my front door. So I would say, okay, well, this is the night, this is Friday night. I would go out to the bar. I'd probably spend 25, 30 bucks at the bar. So, and I throw 25, 30 bucks into the shoebox, right? I know it's, it sounds goofy, but it worked, right? It took me about three months to save up the, the tuition that way. And, 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 I, but I had the full amount by the time that she started that that next class, and I still remember the look on her face when I walked into the when I walked back into the room and walk into the back of her room anyway, check in hand. You know, I had to check in my hand, and 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 I did it right before she was going to start class, so I wasn't even on the roster or anything. I just kind of showed up at her class with a check in my hand, and she told me later it was that she she had kind of a shocked look on her face, but she told me later that a lot of people tell her they would tell her that they were willing to sacrifice. I would tell her that they were going to be at the class, but she said very few people have ever actually done what I did. So, so I think, I think I built up a little bit of credibility in her eyes in in that moment. So even though the fear was one of those things that I I didn't want to feel that fear anymore, and I'd already tried so many other things. So that was the reason why, one of the main reasons I wanted to go to her class, but I actually had a more pressing kind of need because at the time that I joined the oil and gas industry, once I graduated from college, the price of oil was like at an all-time low. And since I was the last person hired by the company that I was working for, I realized that when the quote-unquote downsizing began, that I'd probably be the first person out the door. And But but it was even, but I still had that paycheck, right? I still, even though 
it, it, it had a lot of um, questions about how long I was going to be able to be employed at the company I was working for. It was still, you know, every couple of weeks I was going to get that paycheck. So it was, it was safer anyway to do that. And, and I was terrified of, of losing my job, even though I didn't really have a whole lot of expenses at the time or anything like that. But I think the thing that terrified me most was that I just spent four years getting a degree that I was becoming to realize was pretty worthless. I mean, it was at least in the short term. I mean, nowadays with the price of oil the way it is now, I probably could do a ton with I could probably make a ton of money if I jumped and went back to the oil industry now. But back then, it was it was pretty worthless. And um, but as I started going through this, the these leadership classes with Marianne, the 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 high it, it was the highlight of of every week of of of, of that time period. You know, um, the these coaching sessions were great. The, the class had about thirty people from all different industries. Some were professionals, others were kind of blue collar managers and and leaders. Um, a few though were salespeople. And as I started to network with some of these sales folks in, in the class, I began to, to see a, a, a pretty good opportunity if I were going to change careers, because there's there seemed to be a ton of companies out there looking for smart salespeople. And after after um, talking to my dad and to Marianne and doing a lot of praying, I, I basically quit my job and and within a very short time, it's less than a week, I was hired as a at a starting sales position. So. The, by the way, when I created when I when I joined this new company, brand new industry, brand new company for me and everything, the the sales training that they did or the 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 training that they did for new hires, especially new salespeople, it was horrible. It was not. It was basically me sitting in a room with my sales manager in a in a three ring binder flip book, and he would go through the book and he'd have me do it, and then that was it. I mean, it was basically it took about an hour or so max, and and that was my entire sales training. So I had to kind of figure things out on my own, but so all, since I had been, since I was currently taking that class with Marianne, I just used the skills that, that she was teaching in that leadership class, you know, the people skills and how to ask questions and, and how to solve problems for people and stuff like that, which is what really good salespeople do. And within a few months, I had kind of worked my way up to be the top salesperson for this this new company I was working for. So it didn't take me very long. So um, in fact, some of the more seasoned salespeople starting asking me what I was doing. And then, so basically, I just helped them. I would give them advice based on what I was doing, what I was learning from the class that I was that I was taking. And the, and then a few months after becoming the top salesperson, my boss kind of came up to me and made me the sales manager. And and by the way, a lot of times folks kind of hear that and they go, God, man, you must have been really busted. Really, it was through attrition. I mean, it was like since they had very, very poor sales training, what happened was, you know, new people would kind of come and they'd go and they'd come and they'd go and they'd come and they'd go. And, and so basically I had, by the time I'd been there for you know six months or almost a year, I guess at that point, I was, I was one of the more seasoned salespeople and I was the top sales guy. So boss made me, made me the manager, but, um, and that changed though, because when I started bringing new people in, I started training them better than what the people that brought me in trained me. And so they stuck around, they made money, the company started to grow. And in fact, in the, in the, um, the year or so, maybe almost two years, I guess, that I was doing that in, in that position, um, I, it, basically my office, 
the the 12 or so people that I had working for me was basically funding the revenue for the entire company nationwide. So it was um, it was a, a pretty good success for us. But um, I remember that first month, though, that after I became manager, I opened up the, the envelope because that's the way they did it back then. It wasn't direct deposit. They actually gave you a check in an envelope. And I remember opening that up and looking at the amount. And I'm like, holy crap, that's as much as what I made and that was my bonus check, by the way, it was my bonus check was higher than what I was making in salary at my previous job at the, at the oil company I was working for. And this was an amazing transformation for me. I, I was happy. I was making good money. People that I worked with starting seeing me as a, a leader that wasn't happening at the oil company when I was working there. Um, you know, things were going pretty well for me. And, and after a short time, a big company recruited me and I increased my income again. And, and, and many of those results were, they were just extraordinary. The, the things that were happening to me. So basically I, I reached out to Marianne to kind of tell her the good news. And during that conversation, I shared with her how a lot of the, a lot of the success that I was achieving actually came from me coaching my new coworkers to do the same things that she had suggested that I do. And, and since I knew that she had been looking for a salesperson for her company, I, I asked if she would hire me. So just so you know, there's absolutely no way that she would have hired me during the time that she and I first met, because at that time, I, I really didn't have anything to add that would, you know, any, any value to her or to her company. But I knew that she needed a good salesperson. So basically what I did was I spent, you know, three plus years, four years gaining experience in sales. And I worked really hard to make sure that I was the top salesperson. And I got management experience and that kind of thing. So, um, so I, because I knew if she was going to take a chance on me, I, I needed to be able to show her that the potential reward was much greater than the risk of, of hiring me. So I guess my sales pitch was good enough because she, she brought me onto her team. Um, just so you know, though, I mean, changing careers a third time in less than five years, six years, I guess, was was um, not ideal. And and to be like brutally blunt on this, brutally, I hate it when people say, God, to be honest, you know, because everything is honest. But th- to be blunt, my first year in the training industry stunk. Um, Mary Ann was a fantastic trainer, but um, I it. I'm, she had been doing this. She had been speaking and training and selling in that specific industry for a couple of decades by the time that I met her. And me, I was, I was, this was a brand new career for me. So I didn't really have a whole lot of fruit on the tree yet. And um, so what she did was she gave me the entire city of Abilene, Texas as my territory. I was so proud because she trusted me with a, with a whole city. And um, for the first few weeks, you know, she came in and she showed me how to, how to walk into businesses and, and cold call on the managers and the owners of these businesses. And, and she was so smooth and she was so seasoned that she averaged a, a follow-up appointment with maybe one out of every 10 of these business contacts, these business owners that she, that she met. Um, and, and in addition, she showed, she sold her services to maybe half of those people. So if she went in and, and, um, and, and talked to, to 20 business owners, she was going to get a contract out of that. So, um, I watched it. I, I, I saw how easy she was. It was, she made it look anyway. So I, I used that same process. I used the same technique. I visited over a hundred different companies in the first few weeks. 
And um, the difference though between me and her, <laughs> because like I said, I hadn't really perfected the craft yet. I hadn't really worked on my 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 craft yet. I, when I walked in to talk to these business owners, all they saw was a wet behind the years kid that was a few that had a few years of sales success, you know. And none of them were kind of looking at me and saying, "Yeah, I want to be a success like that guy." Whereas if they saw Marianne, man, she was buttoned up, right? So after a few months of, of little to no income, it was a commission only deal. So I left that, that, that nice, secure um, position that I had as, in management to go to a commission only job working for her. Um, I, I ended up having to get a part-time job telemarketing insurance in, in the evening. So I'd go and work all day long trying to, to sell seats into, um, uh, into uh, leadership classes. And then at, I'd, start working again at five o'clock in the afternoon, work until nine or 10 o'clock in, in the, in the evening, get back up in the morning, you know, six o'clock in the morning to start all over again. So a, a year into the process though, I mean, I was flat broke. I, I'd left that high paying job to work twice as many hours for about for less than half the income. And at the time I didn't realize the, what, what a lot of people call the the law of delayed gratification, because I was, I was in the process of becoming an expert in my new field. It, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. There, there's no shortcut. And so because of that delayed gratification, though, I, I was very discouraged. I mean, every, every night I'd question whether or not I'd made the right decision. You know, I, I'd proposed to my wife, Leisha, um, and, and when, when I proposed to her, I, she and I kind of talked a, a lot about the future and how to improve, you know, the circumstances that I was in at the, at the moment. But when I proposed to her, I'd just become the new leadership guy in Abilene. And my goal was to spend a year or so building up the business because I'd already done that a couple of times in a couple other industries. And, uh, and, and then have her, you know, she was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the time and have her move to Abilene. But after that brutal first year, I knew that, there wasn't a whole lot of hope. I mean, it would basically, if I, if I doubled my expenses, uh, then I would have probably sunk uh, pretty quickly. And since Leisha was living in Dallas, in in Dallas, Arlington, really the Dallas Fort Worth area at the time on a, on a weekend visit, I came up to see her and, and um, I I left a day early though. So I could set up a couple of job interview, uh, job interviews there. So, um, I, after I went on a couple of interviews, um, you know, obviously I, I interviewed pretty well. And um, there was a, I think it was like a copier or printer company offered a, a, they offered me a job, you know, the next week and the base salary would have been enough to kind of get me out of the financial hole that I had made for myself working, you know, as a, as a trainer for that first year. Um, however, just the thought of selling equipment to companies, it just, it made me depressed, you know? So for the first time in my career, I felt like I was moving backwards. Everything else that I had done from the time that I graduated from school was moving forward. Every time I went to a new company, I was making more money and, and that kind of thing. So this was the first time that I was actually moving backwards. And, and, and this would have been my second step backwards. So it would have been, you know, pretty, um, it was, it was a, a tough time. So I, I, I called, but you know, it, it, hey, I got the job, and you know, I can start building again and building in a in a big city. And yeah, it's not really what I'm what I really want to do, but I can do it really well, and I'll probably help a lot of other people when I do it. So, um, so I called Leisha up to tell her the news, and 
And she's a really, really good judge of character. You know, sometimes we're, we're the people that we're partnered with kind of make up for a lot of our deficiencies. And she definitely does for me. Um, after kind of talking with her for maybe five or 10 minutes about, about the, this opportunity that I now have working for this new company, she just kind of paused and she says, oh, for God's sake, Doug, go talk to him. And I was like, I was a little surprised. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, him who? What are you, what are you talking about? And she said, you know, you want to go talk to Marianne's counterpart here in Dallas, you know, because it was a big company, Marianne, even though we were working for um, in the in the the smaller cities, um, it was a huge company and it had, you know, a thousand different offices around the world. And the one of the bigger ones was in Dallas. And she said, you know, you want to go talk to him, just go do it. And so finally I got the nerve up and and I I basically this was in the middle of the week. I just that night I packed up and drove to Dallas. So the next morning I was in, it was in Dallas. And um, I, I guess the, the, it was funny because when she mentioned that, when she said that, I was like, well, how did she know? <laughs> how did she know? You know, I, I really loved what I was doing. I just needed a way to make a living doing it. And, you know, and perhaps moving to a bigger city was the answer. So, so when I drove to Dallas and I actually went and did a, a cold call on the, the Dallas manager of the company, I was currently working for. And um, it, it was, it was funny because when he, when he actually let me write in, I, I didn't have to set an appointment up or anything. Just kind of walked in told him who I was. He took me back to his office and uh, his name, by the way, was, it was Rick. And he was like an icon in the speaking industry in the leader leadership training industry. Anyway, very well known. Um, and, and he was, he, he patiently and sympathetically kind of listened to my, my entire story. And, and I told him about cold calling on over a thousand businesses in the previous year, which is what I'd done. And halfway through my speech, he, he just started laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here pouring my heart out to him and he just started laughing. And I wasn't sure what to make of that. So I just kind of stopped talking and he, and he, he just kind of laughed. And he said, Hey, Doug, based on what you're saying, I assume that you're here looking for a job. If that's the case, you're hired. And I went, what? Because I, th- I thought this was going to be a, I had, no, I had no clue what was going on. And and I, I kind of replied, and I guess he saw the confusion on my face because he said, he, he said, Doug, Abilene, Texas has about 100,000 people in a 50 mile radius, radius. He said, the office that you're sitting in right now has over 6 million people in a 50 mile radius. If you just put a little of the effort that you're putting out there in that small town, you're going to generate more income than you know what to do with. And he was right. Um, just just as, you know, in, in, when I was in Abilene, I, I had a slow start. Uh, but the 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 company uh, that I, that this company that I was working for it had about three thousand sales reps and and instructors worldwide that that um, did consulting all around the world. And by the third year that I was working in his office, I was number three of thirty in total sales in 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 the world. And now, granted, I learned a lot from 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 Rick and the Dallas team. I mean, these were some of the the, the best instructors and the best salespeople on the best consultants, you know, really good at deal, uh, working with big companies and everything. But I believe that it was the habits that that I created when I was struggling that added more to the success than than um, what they taught me to do. I mean, I did things that the other reps, the ones that were actually training me when I, when I got to the new office, I did things they weren't willing to do. <laughs> and, 
So um, prior to transferring to Dallas, you know, my only exposure to real quality teaching and instruction was was one woman, one woman, Marianne. And she was phenomenal, by the way, just fantastic. But a few months after I transferred to Dallas, though, I was I was attending an international instructor conference that had 3000 of the top trainers in the world at this thing. So I was interacting with some of the best minds in the industry. And, and then two years later, the, the organizers of that particular meeting uh, invited me to speak to the group. So, I, I mean, it was one of those things where, um, you know, because I kind of went out and, and took a risk, it, it really paid off. And, and I remember, you know, standing backstage when I was about to go speak to this big group of, of you know, professional speakers. Um, I, they were, I was waiting for them to call on me and it kind of hit me that less than 10 years prior to that moment, I'd been sitting around that boardroom table at the Fairmont hotel in Dallas, humiliated because I was terrified to speak in front of a group. And, and now, um, and by the way, back then I, I never wanted to speak in front of a group ever again. I mean, I, I was so, I, I felt like I was so scarred that I never want to do anything like that again. And now I was just minutes away from speaking to a group of some of the, the, the world's most fantastic speakers and, and trainers. So it was a remarkable transformation. It was one of those things that all of those challenges that I had along the way and and the the risks that I took sometimes they paid off sometimes they didn't when they didn't I I made corrective actions and that's really what it takes that's the mentality that you have to have when you're when you're building a business and I know what some of you are thinking now you're you're thinking good god I mean he's he's been talking for quite a while and he hasn't said anything about he how he actually built this multi-million dollar business that he owns. And, and by the way, I did this for a reason um, because I, I didn't just wake up one day and start the Leaders Institute. You know, for, for almost a decade, I, I spent time learning and perfecting my craft. I, I, the, the, those struggles along the way caused me to search for better ways of, of doing things. And if, if I'd been successful right off the bat, the, sex, the success would have been short-lived. If, if I didn't if I didn't first struggle for a year in Abilene, I wouldn't have been nearly as good when I started in Dallas. I would have been just like all the other folks who were there, right? I would have been doing the same. I would have, I would have done, I would have watched what I saw and done exactly the same. But because I, I, I figured out ways um, when I was struggling to do things a little better, I implemented those and 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 became better than even the folks that were in the the big city. So I, I'll give you a really good example of why this is so important when you when you start to create a new company or if you want to go into the speaking business or anything like that, right? I had a guy who came through my one of my classes. It was a, a year and a half ago, just shortly before COVID hit, and he wanted to become a motivational speaker, right? A lot of people do that, by the way. A lot of people see these folks that they're famous motivational speakers, Anthony Robbins and the Nora Vincent Peels and Les Browns and all those folks, and they go, God, man, that's, that looks like so much fun. I think I'd want to do that, right? So basically, as he was coming through the class, so I asked him about his background, and he told me that he was a HVAC guy. He he basically worked on air conditioning and, and heating systems, and uh, and and apparently he was really good at it. You know, the more that I talked about him, the more I started to realize that this guy has has a skill. He's got a, He's got a marketable skill, and 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 something that that organizations would, he had knowledge that organizations would actually pay him for, but based on his background. Um, so I suggested that he begin creating lessons or presentations about how to help companies maybe save money on their HVAC bills, you know, a huge 
that's a huge expenditure for a lot of different companies. And, and they would actually pay somebody to help them cut that cost because if they cut it, cut that cost month after month after month, they're, they're saving a lot of money over, over a a short period of time anyway, and, and can do that forever. The moment that I said that to him, though, it was like a grimace came over his face. He kind of frowned. And he said, I, I, what I really want to do is I want to help kids make better life choices. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that, that sounds inspirational. But I asked him what kind of experience that he had working with kids. And he kind of he hesitated for a second and said, none. Right? And I said, oh, okay, so you must have had a pretty challenging childhood. where, And then you overcame those challenges, right? And he paused and, and then had to explain to me that, no, he had a pretty good childhood. And so when I asked him about... His speaking experience, he explained that that was why he was coming through the class because he didn't really have any speaking experience anyway. If you think about it, that's a pipe dream, guys, right? I mean, that's not uh, that you don't go change your career by uh, and start something brand new without any type of experience in that industry. I mean, that one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do is, is kind of tell this man that he wasn't yet qualified to help kids make better choices. But you notice that I put in the word yet, right? You're not yet qualified. You can become the expert in anything you want, You, but you just can't decide that you are an expert and then expect people to follow you. You have to, you have to spend some time developing that expertise. Um, so that would be like me deciding to train Air Force fighter pilots, you know, well, Doug, have you ever flown a fighter jet? Oh, no, <laughs> no, but you know, you should hire me anyway, right? So um, but the, the thing that I want to kind of get across in, in that the, as we kind of conclude this episode is that by the time that I started the Leaders Institute, I'd spent years apprenticing with some of the top people in the industry. Uh, I, I worked hundred, I, I worked over 100 hours a week perfecting my skills. You know, the um, by the time that I taught my first fearless presentations class, once I started the Leaders Institute and taught my first fearless presentations class, I had already trained over a thousand students. So I was not new at this. This was not a new skill that I was learning. This was something that I had perfected over time. So next week, when we do those, I'm going to share with you a few of the the ups and downs after I started the Leaders Institute. And I'll give you the spoiler alert right now. I I didn't make a million dollars my first year. It took me quite a bit of work and effort after I started the Leaders Institute to actually get to that point. um, But the neat thing is, is that now that I know how to do it, if I wanted to, I could start a brand new company tomorrow. And within a year, I'd I'd, I'd be able to break that million dollar mark again. It's it's one of those things that once you kind of know how to do it, you can you can um, uh, re- recreate that activity again and again and again and again and and, and increase your income every time that you do. Um, it's funny because I I had a um, a couple of folks that have been through my fearless presentations classes over the years. They um they they were franchise people. Like there was a guy that came through my fearless presentations class here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And uh, and he owned a Burger King, right? Is what that's what he told me anyway. And then as he started kind of telling his story, um, it figured I, I found out that he owned more than one Burger King. And eventually, I, I asked, I said, hey, "How many of these things do you own?" And he said, hmm, and "He kind of counted in his head, and he went." about 400 and I, my jaw dropped. I'm like, Oh my God, that's crazy. And he said, he said that once you do it once doing it a second time is easy and doing it a 10th time is a piece of cake. 
So basically he was just kind of recreating that over and over and over. And every time he did, he made a, a bundle of money and you can kind of do the same thing in your company. If you kind of do the things that I kind of point out to you next week. So we'll see you next week on the fearless presentations podcast, guys. See you then. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week. 